everyone. Welcome to this week's Chapter by Chapter Recap. My name is Corey, and I'm here with my husband, Matlock. Hey, Matlock. Hey. So today we're looking at the book of Luke <laughs> because that was our assigned reading yeah. for Bible Discovery and Bible Discovery TV. So we're looking at Luke chapter 3 to Luke chapter 18. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a good day. It's going to be good. Lots I'm excited. of Luke. I'm ex- yeah, I like Luke. Me too. I told you before this that Luke, when I first became a Christian, was one was my favorite, or I shouldn't say favorite, but I I was most interested in Luke because mm-hmm. of the greater context, everything that he provides. It's very historically sound, and it's just overall really interesting. Luke, there's a lot of ex- explanations that are given in Luke that yes. are really really helpful. Yeah, right with the context. Okay, so Luke chapter three. So in this chapter, Luke marks the year for us. He says it was the fifteenth year of Tiberius Caesar. So that's emperor of Rome. Uh, Pontius Pilate is governor of Judea, so of ancient Israel. And Herod Antipas is the Tetrarch of Galilee. He just says Herod, but we know from history it's Herod Antipas is the Tetrarch of Galilee. And Philip was the Tetrarch of two territories. Ter- two territories, excuse me, and Licinius was the Tetrarch of Ilene. And it, this was during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And the word of God came to John in the wilderness. And John began his ministry of preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So I love how specific it is with the dating of John the Baptist's call. So John the Baptist is very clear that he is not the Messiah, but that the Messiah is coming after him, that he's preparing the way for the Messiah. Mm. So we're also told in... Uh, Luke chapter 3 of the baptism of Jesus and that Jesus is about 30 years old and we get a genealogy of Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, we see after Jesus's baptism is complete, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. And again, this is nothing new because we've read about this temptation both in Matthew and in Mark, though Mark gives significantly less detail. Um, We see Jesus, Jesus's temptations in the wilderness as being about food, power and proving his status as God's son. So uh, this validation of his identity. Now, then in Luke chapter four, Jesus begins preaching in, Jesus preaches in Nazareth uh, and it doesn't go well. So Jesus shames them for rejecting him because he grew up among them. And then they try to execute him. They try to push him off a cliff. Uh, but he miraculously walks away or yeah. push him off a, a mountainside. There's there's an area yeah. where it just the mountain teeters off and they wanted to get him there and push him off. Okay, so Jesus goes to Capernaum then and teaches in their synagogue. He heals a demon-possessed man on the Sabbath. He goes to Peter's house. He heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, and then he heals many, many people as well. So making waves right away. Early in the morning, Jesus gets up and he goes out of Capernaum to a solitary place to pray, to kind of be alone. And when the people find him, they want him to stay there. They want him to stay in Capernaum. But he says that he has to go teach in other towns as well, that he has to travel around to become a traveling teacher. So that all happens in Luke chapter 4. Now, in Luke chapter 5, we get more detail on how Jesus called Simon Peter, James, and John to be his disciples. So Jesus was teaching a crowd early in the morning while fishermen, who turn out to be Peter, James, and John, uh, 
were washing out their nets with the other fishermen that would have accompanied them doing that. So Jesus asks to be taking, taken out into one of the boats to preach because there's, there's people all around him and kind of crowding in on him. So Peter takes him out. Then Jesus tells Peter to cast his net and Peter's skeptical because they've been fishing all night and, and caught nothing, but he does it and he catches such a huge school of fish that the other boat has to come out and help him bring all the fish in. So afterwards, Peter falls in front of Jesus and says, I'm a sinful man. You need to leave me. Like, I, I can't, I can't stand in your presence. This is not, this is not good. I'm not a good person. And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Uh, And that was that. Uh, Peter, James, and John left their profession as fishermen and they became Jesus's disciples. We're also told in Luke 5 how Jesus healed a man with leprosy by touching him which was a huge no-no. You don't touch lepers because leprosy is contagious, but he did it and his fame grew. Also, he should have been ceremonially unclean to touch a leper, but he healed him. So eh, no problem. No problem, right? Uh, We're also told that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places so that he could pray. We also have in Luke chapter 5 the account of the paralyzed man being lowered down through the roof at Capernaum so that Jesus could heal him because there was such a crowd that they couldn't get him through. But we're told, again, this account is so interesting because Jesus takes the opportunity first to forgive this man's sins, which offends the teachers of the law who were sitting with Jesus observing him and trying to figure out what he was all about. Um, But Jesus heals the paralyzed man in order to prove that he does have the authority to forgive sins. And and no one really knows what to do with that. So then also in Luke chapter 5, lots of stuff happens. Jesus calls Levi, also known as Matthew, who was a tax collector at Capernaum. And this makes sense that there would have been a tax collector at Capernaum because it was a big fishing area and uh, trading area, etc., And uh, Matthew Levi throws a big banquet, a big meal for Jesus. And all of his tax tax collector friends come. It was basically just kind of the rejected from Jewish society that Matthew would have hung out with because he himself was rejected from Jewish society. Uh, But this really irks, it really bothers the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. How could you as a righteous teacher, as a law-abiding, God-fearing man, associate with these kinds of people? How could you do that? But Jesus says to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All three gospels have that very firm that the people who are sinners are sick. Yes. Not necessarily just like. And Jesus's mission is to call people to repentance. Right. So if you think you're righteous, he can't help you. Yeah. You're spiritually sick. and You need to recognize that you're sick. Yes. There's a big difference. Yes. Okay, Luke chapter 6. This is all about how Jesus claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He gets in trouble all the time for doing things on the Sabbath where good Jewish people and especially Jewish teachers and rabbis were not supposed to be doing things on the Sabbath. They were supposed to be just honoring God by resting. But Jesus challenges their traditional way of doing things. He challenges their way of thinking about the law. Uh, Then... Uh, after all of that Sabbath business, we're told that Jesus prays to God all night 
and then chooses 12 of his disciples to be apostles, to be special messengers and representatives of him. And we're told who they are. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot. And of course, some of those guys have other names, which we've talked about before. We're also given the Beatitudes again in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Um, And it continues on. But then there's also woes for the opposites of those things that Jesus gives. Right, which is in contrast to what you see in Matthew, which is the beatific vision, which is like about the kingdom of God, how you are supposed to be. Right. Here, there's just a contrast between the very short beatitudes Right? Yep. And very short woes that are complementary to each other. And, you know, it's Jesus was a traveling teacher. So it is very, it, it is probable that he gave these sermons multiple oh. times. Oh, uh, for and, sure. And, yeah. and, and so this would definitely account for some of the differences in, in, uh, all the teachings, like it's the core is exactly the same, but there are some differences in how, for example, Luke presents it versus Matthew, like right. you're saying. Uh, but as a traveling teacher, he definitely would would have been oh yeah <laughs> preaching these to to the different audiences. So it's really interesting to see those those differences. It is really interesting. It really helps clarify what God, what Jesus was trying to say. That's right. Okay, so Jesus also in Luke chapter 6 gives this teaching on loving your enemies, doing good to those who hate you, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who mistreat you, which is very counterculture even today. I mean, it's just counter human intuition, really. (laughs) Uh, uh, He gives teachings about judging, uh, really condemning versus forgiving. Uh, uh, His teaching essentially forgive and you will be forgiven, give and it will be given to you. Uh, he talks about not being a hypocrite and how not to be a hypocrite. Uh, also, he he gives a really important teaching about recognizing people uh, by their lives. So by their actions, reactions, decisions, the outcomes of their lives. Um, he talks about how the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Mm. So how are how are people talking? How are they speaking? That's a good indicator of where they are in their spiritual lives. Not always because you can you can alter your speech, but if you really watch the outcomes of people's lives. Yeah, that's right. That's why the two are important in tandem. You need to have who you are in your day-to-day life and then how you're speaking because Yes. Both things can be altered, but yes, but all of them together can't be. Yes, right. And speaking, you know, when it's when it's one on one or when you're in a relaxed environment, a relaxed environment is um, one thing. And speaking when you're officially teaching is another thing too. And, That's and those right. both of those things are important to pay attention to yes, when we're for trying sure. to see what kind of person someone is. All right. So also, <clears throat> Jesus in the end of Luke chapter six says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then Jesus launches into the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Mm. So it's a really interesting parable. Very challenging. What's interesting, too, about that parable is that Christ is often connected to the rock, right? The cornerstone. But then what is dust? What is sand? In throughout the text of the Bible, it's people. So don't build your house on the traditions of men, Mm -hmm. right? Build your house on Christ, on God. Yeah. And so you have this very strong, like parallel being contrast being made there. Very, very strong. Yeah. And I think too, this, this has, this has always been a challenge, but I, 
I see it in our day and age too. It's a challenge to us. Why, if Jesus says to us, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We have found so many stinking creative ways to get around this. We say, yeah, but do the Gospels, do the Gospels really record what Jesus said word for word? Accurately? How do we know? Or, or it's even the other way where it's like, the apostles in their epistles say things. They're like, yeah, but I don't believe what they say. I distrust the Right, gospels. as if Jesus didn't That's, give them their, his authority. <laughs> no, it's a quiet. Yeah, I know. It's a, yeah, it's a two-way street. Yeah. I know. We need to take this seriously. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then pay attention to the parable of the wise and foolish That's right. builders. Okay, Luke chapter 7. So Jesus heals a centurion's servant, from a distance, so he perform he does this this healing for uh, a Gentile man working for Rome, um, and it's from a distance, which is really interesting. Jesus also raises a widow's son from the dead during his funeral procession, which obviously caused quite a stir. It still would today. Um, Jesus became known as a great prof a great prophet, a great messenger of God to help Israel through this. This created an uproar. Uh, we also see Jesus interacting with the disciples of John the Baptist over his identity of Messiah. And then Jesus in turn teaches on the identity of John the Baptist. Who is he? What role is he fulfilling? If you're the Messiah, who is John the Baptist? All of that good stuff. We're told that Jesus went to eat at Simon the Pharisee's house and a known sinful woman comes in and anoints Jesus's feet with expensive perfume. And Jesus then teaches Simon a lesson about forgiveness and then forgives the woman for her sins. Again, very controversial. Luke chapter 8, Luke mentions that many women were also following and traveling with Jesus after they had been healed by him and that they were financially providing for the disciples. So some of them at least were women of means. They were wealthy women. Three are specifically mentioned by name, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. Now, it's possible that there is a theory that Luke mentions these women specifically because he may have used some of their testimony for his gospel to create his gospel because he's a historian and interviewing people and he sets himself up as that. Right. Luke chapter eight. Still, we have the parable of the sower showing how different people respond to the word of God. Uh, we have Jesus making the claim that his true family is not his biological family, but it's the people who hear God's word and put it into practice. We have Jesus exercising his authority over nature when he calms the storm on the Sea of Galilee. We see Jesus healing the de demon possessed man in the region of the Gerasenes or Gadarenes. The whole legion incident with the pigs, right. that's here in Luke chapter 8. Uh, and also Jesus raising Jairus's daughter from the dead and healing the woman with the issue of blood. Yeah, and, there, and there's a lot of things to even explore in this chapter. Not that I don't want to so go too things. far, but even just something simple with the, the parable of the sower. Mm -hmm. The concept of faith being the word of God being a seed and that that's grown by faith and stuff like that, This right? The fact that, you, that your life is like that, that is progressively growing and then becomes fruitful is something that can also be forgotten. That it's not just like, oh, you become a Christian and that's it. It's like there's, as if there's no progress in your life, there's mm -hmm. no growth in your life. Like clearly there's a maturity process. So clearly there's progressive um, strengthening and blossoming and fruitfulness that comes uh, with that. But it's not just like a, a clean cut thing. Mm -hmm. And that takes time, I think. And that also comes with you know cutting out the weeds and pruning a bit. 
a lot of pruning would need to be more fruitful, right? Um, and that's self-pruning, of course. I'm talking about just like <laughs> like Peter, not just trusting in everything, your impulses all the time. Right, right, right. right. Pruning, pruning yourself in humility. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot more to explore that Jesus comes a storm, but maybe we'll get that in John. So I know. It's such good stuff. It's good. It's recorded for a reason, right? The things that they chose to record, they didn't exhaustively record Jesus' ministry, right. but the things that they chose to record and when yeah. they chose to put them in the different Gospels is so interesting. Yeah, because it's like, okay, the storm, like, it's a, <laughs> yes, it's about his godship, right? It's about yeah. his, that he's God, but the wind and the waves— Specifically, what do we talk about throughout the Old New Testament? Like mm-hmm. the wind means spirit, right? The waves means this dark chaos about sheols underneath it, right? It's mm-hmm. like they represent that God has control over those two things. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's happening here, right? So, and then when he walks over, it's the same concept. It's like it's a deep. There's symbols being spoken in real life. There's symbols in a, that are happening right. in life. And it's not that you're saying that these things didn't happen. You're saying the fact that they happened is very meaningful because of these symbols. That's exactly right. Because the, yeah, that's yes. exactly right. I'm not saying, I'm saying symbols yeah. are real. I'm saying, I'm not saying that there's yeah. like something they don't, right, that's exactly what I'm saying. So yeah. the meaning is real. Like, and it's, so you can see it in just like their actions, their wills, their ways, their, right? the right, the, how they carry themselves and not just how they, what they use the, the, the words they use. Right. So anyways, meaning is just like, it's a big, it's part of the universe. It's part of what God, it's part of God. God has meaning, right? So it's, it just, you see it. It's a, you see it throughout the the narrative that God created here, and it's amazing. Okay, Luke chapter 9. Yeah. So in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the apostles, he sends out those 12 to preach and heal. And when they get back, Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. We have Peter's confection of Jesus as the Messiah and and Jesus predicting his crucifixion. We have the transfiguration, which we're told happened about eight days later after Peter's confession. Uh, We see Jesus casting a demon out of a boy that his disciples could not cast out or having trouble doing so. And there's this really interesting episode where the disciples try to get provision or a place to stay for Jesus in a Samaritan village. But because they were on their way to Jerusalem, the people wouldn't help them. So Luke is emphasizing the religious difference between the Samaritans and the Jews. So the Samaritans believed that their the, that Mount Gerizim in their territory was the true Mount Zion, uh, whereas the Jews believed that Mount Zion was in Jerusalem with the Temple Mount. So the disciples enraged that the Samaritans refused to help Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. They want to call fire down from heaven in order to destroy the Samaritan town, but Jesus rebukes them. He doesn't let that happen. Luke chapter 10, we see Jesus sending 72 disciples out. So he sent the 12 apostles out and they've come back. But now Jesus is widening his circle. Now there's 72 disciples that are being sent out. Now, when these 72 come back to Jesus, they're very excited because they can cast out demons, just like the apostles and just like Christ. And Jesus tells them, he goes, don't be happy because the spirits have to submit, but be happy rather that you are saved, that your names are written to heaven written in heaven and that this is evidence of that. So then Jesus gives the parable of the good Samaritan, which is placed here obviously because in the last chapter, the disciples wanted to kill a bunch of Samaritans. So Jesus gives the the parable of the good Samaritan here. Uh, And then also we see in Luke 10, Mary sitting at Jesus's feet as a disciple, which would have been revolutionary. So, um, 
Mary really would have been seen as she should have been doing typical cultural woman things, uh, like preparing meals and, and, and all of that. But Jesus was saying that being his disciple was the better choice for a woman. And it was something that can never be taken away from her, whereas a traditional cultural role can be taken away. Uh, but, but being a disciple of Christ can never. So where does your identity come from? It comes from being a disciple of Christ, no matter who you are in your culture. Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus teaches the disciples the Lord's prayer, and he encourages them to pray often and to pray persistently, which is something that I know I definitely always need to hear. When I get here, I'm like, yes, often and persistently, persistently. It's hard to be persistent. Okay, Jesus heals a mute man in Luke chapter 11, and people accuse him, the Pharisees accuse him, of casting out demons by a prince demon. Uh which Jesus has a really interesting reply to. Verses 27 to 28 uh, says this, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Gotta love it. Jesus makes official enemies of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law uh, here in Luke chapter 11 when he shames them while he's eating a meal with them. So he's fellowshipping with them, but he also brings shame down on them. Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives a teaching to his disciples that they should not be afraid of rejection or punishment from men who can only kill the body, but they should rightly fear rejection and punishment from God who can kill the soul in judgment. So Jesus is like, what's your priorities here, guys? What's your priorities? Jesus also warns the people about greed. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. But what's really interesting is that what Jesus is actually responding to here was a man asking for Jesus to tell the man's brother to share his inheritance with him. So it was like these people saw, it was like a justice issue. My brother is taking, he needs to to share the inheritance. He's taking all the inheritance. It's a justice issue. And Jesus makes it about a greed issue. Life is not about these physical possessions. Then he moves on to talk about how we need to be seeking the kingdom of God as our first priority, not worrying so much about our physical, our physical lives, because where our treasure is, you know, where our priorities are, there your heart will be also. And he compares that to Solomon and the lilies. It's yes. Like, Solomon's even dressed like the, the fields of the lilies. And he's like, so it's like, how about, you think about that, the new creation, right? The new mm-hmm. creation to come. That's, that's kind of the parallel he's drawing there where it's like Solomon with all of his glory was nothing compared to this flower in this field. And yep. it's like, and then one day in God's kingdom, if you see God's kingdom, that's new creation. And that's where, right. Mm-hmm. You'll be like the lilies essentially. It's really, really powerful stuff. It sure is. And then uh, Luke chapter 12 is capped off with Jesus telling them to be watchful and to be ready for God's return. Mm-hmm. Luke chapter 13, Jesus is, Jesus teaches that people need to repent while they can, while they're able to repent. Uh, Those who do not repent will die. Uh, Jesus also heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath, and he gives the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. So this is the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. 
Uh, so the way to salvation is a narrow door is another one of his teachings. So there's some parables here on what the kingdom of God is like. Luke chapter 14. Okay, so this is another Sabbath meal that Jesus is having at a Pharisee's house. And he heals a man with an unusual swelling in his body. And then he gives various teachings to everyone who's there about humility and about how true service uh, and what true service to God actually is. He tells one of the guests that they have to go to the banquet of God when God sets it up. Otherwise, he will invite others to take their place. In other words, you're missing it because they, they're not happy with Jesus. They're all interested in Jesus. They want to see what he has to do, but they're not happy with him. And Jesus is basically saying, look, I'm the invitation to the kingdom of heaven. And if you don't, if you don't accept it, you're going to miss it. You can't just decide when you're going to go to a banquet. If God sets the time for the banquet, you got to be there right. on time. Otherwise, he's going to fill it up with other people that aren't you. So interesting, yeah. Luke 14. Luke 15, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep in response to the Pharisees grumbling that tax collectors and sinners were also in the crowd listening to Jesus. They did not like mixing company with these kinds of people. Uh, Jesus doesn't care. Uh, Jesus also teaches the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. So Basically, when someone who is lost comes back to God, there is great rejoicing. So he's chastising them. You shouldn't be upset about this. You should be thrilled right. that they are here. And and in the Eastern mindset, there would have been a lot of cultural shame that came to that. Unlike oh, yes. our culture, which is just like, oh, okay, you did wrong. Everyone does wrong. Come back in, right? Truth matters more kind of thing. This culture would have been like, oh, you did like abominable things. In my shame friend. matters more. Just a shame. Yeah, you have to bring us honor, not shame, and you bring us shame, so get out of here. That's right. So the cultural shame there, it's the fact that he forgave that. And the fact that he even talk about it mm-hmm. would have been like, why is it, why is it, it would have been like weird. It would have been like, why did he not bring up the most obvious thing that this boy has shamed himself, right? Yeah. He doesn't even, even brush it up. It's like, no, come here, we'll have a, right? We'll have a festival for you and all these things, a great feast. And uh, yeah, that's another thing that would have just taken them completely off guard. To make them really think about usually when there's something that's striking mm-hmm. of a contrast, right? Uh, it really makes you think about it. It sure does. Okay, Luke chapter 16, just a couple more chapters here. Uh, Christ gives the parable of the shrewd manager. So the point seems to be here in the parable of the shrewd manager that worldly wealth should be used for good purposes, like forgiving debt, like helping the poor and the disadvantaged, because worldly wealth is ultimately nothing. The only thing that truly matters is salvation. It ends with this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Uh, Also, there's another quote. uh, What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Mm. Yikes. (laughs) What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Okay, so then we get the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the the point is that we have enough evidence to believe in God and Christ with the scriptures uh, and and with what we have. If, If we don't listen to the evidence that we have, we wouldn't listen to someone raising from the dead and telling us right. that that is so because it means that we're hardened towards that, the truth. Yeah, there's always an alternative explanation. Yes. Yeah. Luke chapter 17. 
this is Jesus' teaching on the dangers of causing and teaching others to sin. Uh, both Matthew and Mark have also delved into this quite deeply. Uh, so Jesus says things like, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. Um, he also tells his followers that the rebuking of sin needs to happen. Rebuke sin, but forgive unconditionally when there's repentance. So always rebuke sin, but when there's repentance, you must forgive unconditionally. We see Jesus healing 10 men with leprosy. One comes back to thank Jesus, and he's a Samaritan. So another one of those outcasts from Jewish society, you know, someone who is not typically one you would think of as, as someone that the Jews would want to highlight or emphasize or, or raise up on some sort of pedestal. Jesus also talks about the day when he will be revealed in Luke chapter 17. And last chapter we're looking at today is Luke chapter 18. This is where Jesus gives the parable of the persistent widow. So the point is keep asking God for justice. Keep at it. If a, you know, if someone who is evil because of persistence will cave, God will cave. He is good. <laughs> he will give us good things. Uh, there's also the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the point of that is those who exalt themselves, those who justify themselves will be humbled, but the repentant will be forgiven. Jesus allows children to be brought to him as an example of humility and trust. We also see the rich young ruler and the teaching that it's hard for the wealthy to be saved. Uh, and finally, in Luke chapter 18, the blind beggar, who seems to be quite opposite to the rich young ruler. He's disadvantaged. He's disabled. He's poor. He is healed. The rich young ruler leaves Jesus, and the blind beggar is healed by Jesus. So it's interesting that Luke is the gospel that puts those right next to each other to mm. as, a, as a contrast yeah. for learning. All right, well, that brings us to the end of this week's reading. That was Luke 3 to 18. So next week, we will continue on in the Gospels. Until we see you, happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high-quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under Donate. Your support really means a lot to us.